Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. Amen. We have a fantastic collect today. You might have just heard that story and wondered, what are we going to do with this gospel? We're going to talk about the collect. (laughs) Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. It's almost like the lectionary committee, while making up the menu of readings for today, said to one another, "Uh uh-oh, we're up to Luke's disturbing parable about the dishonest manager. That's going to be hard to digest. Let's give them chocolate cake as an appetizer. And I am grateful. I don't know about you, but I needed the chocolate cake before diving into this liver and onions of a parable. So why, I ask you, is the dishonest manager even on the table? Why did Jesus tell this story? And why did he commend the dishonest manager for being shrewd? It's hard to know. The Gospels can be very difficult to interpret. Jesus' parables are doubly so. And this parable is considered the most difficult to interpret. Nancy, did you know this when you scheduled me for today? (laughs) We don't know if something's been lost in translation or if Jesus is being sarcastic. Historically, this is one of my favorite interpretations. We don't know what's happening here. Perhaps Jesus is just being feisty with his disciples. This year, I'm leaning towards that that last option, the potential that Jesus was trying to get under the skin of those closest to him. You see, this year, I decided to read Luke leading up to 16, and I noticed something that was happening in Luke's gospel right before this parable. In Luke's 14 and 15, Jesus is teaching and he's telling parables over dinner with the Pharisees, in large, potentially rowdy crowds, and in a gathering of tax collectors and so-called sinners. The disciples are probably right there the whole time, witnessing their leader, who is preaching, pastoring, and building relationships with people who were, quite frankly, hard for the disciples to accept. I bet those disciples were starting to get pretty judgy and self-righteous around these colorful crowds. I'm going to invite you to take a moment to imagine a gathering of people whose lives and opinions offend you. And now imagine your most respected figure in your life, hanging out with them and getting closer to them. And there you are, right there with those disciples. Which brings us to Luke 16, today's gospel. It's finally just Jesus and the disciples and us, alone without all those difficult people. And Jesus tells this story about the dishonest manager, a man who cheated his boss, and then when he realizes he's about to be fired, he calls his boss's debtors in and changes their bills to reflect smaller debts. He does this so that the debtors will help him out once he's out of a job, because, as he says, he is not strong enough to dig and he is too ashamed to beg. 
At this point, the disciples are likely feeling pretty judgmental toward this manager. They're waiting for the story to end in his demise. How could anyone who is this greedy and dishonest possibly be deemed worthy by Jesus? Now, Jesus, as you know, is a great storyteller. And so I bet his timing was exquisite when he twists the story. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he has acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. You disciples, you children of light, wake up to the real world. This man was doing the best he could with what he had, and he used all in his power to build up some relational capital for himself. And there you sit, judging him, just as you have been judging the Pharisees, the crowds, and the tax collectors. Get over yourselves. Ouch. The disciples didn't like this story. We don't like this story. We claim to be the branch of Christianity that is more open-minded, accepting, and non-judgmental than others. But I judge at least five people a day when I'm watching the news, when I'm driving down Route 2, when I'm hearing more from our youth about what we are doing to this climate and the catastrophic situation we've gotten ourselves into, and when I am reading the Bible, I am judging. I judge this manager as a conniving liar who is not worthy of Jesus' support. But that's not my call to make. If Jesus says we have something to learn from this dishonest manager, then so be it. But what could that possibly be? Maybe relationship. Maybe wisdom. Maybe breaking out of our illusion that we are the children of light to the exclusion of others. Maybe simply the will to do the best we can with what we've got. Because doing the best we can is crucial right now. We have to do our best with whatever's been entrusted to us. So what are those things? What do we have in our care? For one, the earth. Millions of people went on strike on Friday, skipping school and work, to tell us and our governments that we need to stop and wake up and stop using this planet up. We are on borrowed time. We all need to do the best we can do to save the earth. Two, this church. Our vestry is trying to figure out our budget for next year in a context of depleted resources, where tax benefits for charitable giving have decreased, expenses have gone up, and yet the desire for a robust church, which requires money, remains. We've all got to do the best we can here. People. We have people in our care. The relationships in our homes are crucial and too often fleeting. People all around us are struggling. They need to be seen and heard. They need to be visited, appreciated, and loved. We need to do the best we can for the people in our lives. We have been entrusted with some very important things. 
Jesus asks us to do the best we can with them. And I'm going to say something for my benefit. Maybe it benefits you too. Jesus is pretty clear that doing the best we can does not entail watching to see if others are doing the best we think they can. (laughs) Catch that? (laughs) He didn't mean watch other people's progress. He meant check yourself out. Which brings us back to our collect. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. You know where anxiety comes from? It comes from either focusing too much on the actions of other people or from that feeling that we personally are just not enough. And as Jesus says today, it also comes from serving wealth above God, above earth, above humanity, above love. And how do we truly love heavenly things? By leaning into heavenly things with the way we live and by knowing that we are worthy, each and every one of us, we are enough. All we're asked to do is to optimize the gift of our own life for the greater good. Nothing more, nothing less, no anxiety, just energy. So when I speak of doing the best we can, I don't mean it in an anxious way. I don't mean that we should get all worried later on in our environmentally friendly coffee hour when we see that there are still some disposable items. I don't mean that anyone should feel bad about not being at the climate strike on Friday or about having to decrease their church pledge or about the fight they have with their family trying to get here this morning. You see... Anxiety comes when we focus on not good enough. Our collect asks God to help us steer clear of not good enough and focus on the joy of doing the best we can with what we've got. Focus on the opportunity to be a part of the generation that heals the planet. The opportunity to use our personal resources to be the church in this world. The opportunity to be a force of love in the lives of the people around us. The heavenly joy of doing the best we can every day. Knowing that our God smiles upon us as we put one foot in front of the other toward fullness of life for all. Amen.